You're listening to audio from Cornerstone Church. We hope you're encouraged by the following message. Let's jump in. All right, well, someone talked about the miracle of worship today. And I'll ask you a question. Have you ever had, um, I'm going to say fake, but it's not because that's the word that's being used today with everything else. But you ever had some fake candy that was supposed to be like the original, but it was did its best, but it just couldn't make the cut? You know what I'm saying? Like, so, like, I always thought growing up, my grandfather had grocery stores and all, and so I thought that um, there was only one peanut butter cup, and that was, you thought the same thing. Did you know there's others? There, there's a whole different world out there of peanut butter cups. I found some at the grocery store. Take a look at some of these. Let me get this first one up here for you. It don't make sense why I'm talking about peanut butter cups in a moment. Here's a hero cup. Have you ever heard of a hero cup? Now, I don't know if this thing, somebody took a nibble out of him or if he's sticking his tongue out at you. I don't know which one it is. It could be either or, but what's... Anyway, I don't... Anyway, next. Let, let me show another one I found, all right? Now, I've had one of these. The, these are these are pretty good. They're, they're organic. So, you know, their peanuts have been, like, probably shelled by a human and never touched anything. It was probably air-blown or something. It was organically, you know, developed peanut butter cup. But here's the thing I don't understand about it. So see that thing on the right-hand side of the square? It says 80 calories. A Reese's cup is 110. Baby, 25 calories ain't worth it to me. I don't care if Reese's got their peanuts after the leftovers from Longhorns or wherever they show them peanuts. I don't care where it comes from. I'm a germaphobe, but baby, look, don't tell me them Reese's peanut butter cups is worth the 25 calories more. I can guarantee you that. That one's good, but it, don't, it ain't worth the 80. Anyway, go to the next one here. I'll show you this one. This was interesting. I don't know. I know the candy company. I've never seen this gal. Her name is Patty. I did not know there was a milk chocolate peanut butter cup. So Patty and her buddy, his name is Marty. There's two of them. You can buy these dolls if you get enough peanut butter cups. I I don't have time for that. I just want a good peanut butter cup. Funny thing is, I'm going to show you this next image. It'll have no labels, no name, and you'll know exactly what it is. Isn't that funny? You know exactly what it is. Now, if I put the original label up, this is the one that everybody's seen, this one right here. And look how simple that is. That thing hasn't changed since when they was bought out by Hershey. I mean, it's like 1900s and something, the same label. Isn't it funny, though, how you can take something so good, which is the original, and how so many people try to replicate or duplicate something to make it as good as, but it never works. Does it not? It, it just never, never works. And so you can do that in a number of different things in life. But I want to share with you a little bit today about worship and how that Jeroboam, this guy who's a king, he tried to duplicate something that was the original, but it never turned out the same. So I'm going to read this to you out of 1 Kings, and I'm going to go through these kind of quickly a little bit, but you're just going to have to read, keep up, um, take a picture or click on your phone, open your Bible. But 1 Kings chapter 12, and this is the story of Jeroboam, and you have to understand there's a lot of Boam names in this story, so it gets kind of confusing. There's Jeroboam, there's Rehoboam. It just gets real weird and confusing. So you just got to keep up with who's who and where they're at, right? But Jeroboam is the king. He took over because basically Solomon's son, Rehoboam, he just pretty much did what Solomon did but amplified it. And so God was basically saying, listen, Jeroboam, I'm going to give you the kingdom except for two divisions. The two divisions I'm not going to give you is the ones that is going to be in the Davidic line, the David's line, his lineage. I'm going to keep those because of my promise to David. Irregardless of his son and everybody else, I'm going to give those. You're not going to get those two divisions. 
of the other tribes, you're going to oversee that. You're going to be king of that, okay? You would think that would be enough. But it's not enough if, as a leader, you're insecure and can't appreciate what you've been given. So, in verse 26 of chapter 12, verse Kings, Jeroboam thought to himself, he's king. But he thought to himself, unless I am careful, the kingdom will return to the dynasty of David. When these people go to Jerusalem to offer their sacrifices at the temple of the Lord, they will again give their allegiance to King Rehoboam of Judah. That's Solomon's son. It says, they will kill me and make him their king instead. Now listen, God already said, you're over these other divisions. They're not going to be able to do that. God actually already told Rehoboam. He told them, listen, you step away, you leave this guy alone. I put him in, you go back where you go. And they obeyed and they went back. There's no reason why he should have felt this way, but he did. And isn't it funny how when you feel a little bit out of sorts, out of your element, or when you don't feel like you can handle or manage what's been given to you, isn't it funny how you'll do some weird stuff to try to compensate for what you feel like you lack? But let me just say something to all of us in this room. No matter who you are, where you are, what you do, there's this little neat quote my wife gave me that just simply says, you're enough. God created you in his image. He anointed you with what you're gifted to do, and you're enough. When you come to the party, you don't have to bring anything extra. You're enough, except if you go to my house, you can bring a bag of Reese's. That's just fine with me. That makes, I like you even more, right? You know what I'm saying? But, you know, you don't have to be anything more. You are who you are. God created you to be who you are, and he'll transform you and grow you and develop you. But you don't have to be something different for someone else so that you feel like you fit in. You can be just who God created you to be. You know, all three of my girls, they're different. I got one who, man, she is, she can, she's artsy on one hand. She can read more books probably than most people in this room. She can read a book so fast. I can't buy books for her now. We, get, we do checkouts. You know what I'm saying? Because I can't, there's no way I'm going to buy that many books. She, so much. My other one, she's different. She, man, she'll wear stuff and dress up and stuff that is like, how did you come up with that? But it works for her. It just works for her. My other one, man, I don't know. She's just like wide open. I'm trying to figure that one out right now. But they're all different. And you know what they do when they come to the table? They're enough. I don't ask one of them to be like this one or that one to be like this one. They all bring a different personality to our family, and they're enough. And I love them for it. And God looks at you, and he says, you're my kids, and I love you. I love you just like you are, even in the midst of whatever you're dealing with or going with right now. I mean, he's going to leave you there. Doesn't mean we're going to make an excuse, say, well, I am what I am, so God just... No, 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 he's going to pull you out of whatever you're in, but he loves you just as you are. You don't need to be anything more for God. You don't need to be anything more for other people. He loves you just as you are. That's why Billy Graham loved that song when they were singing, just as I am. I come just as I am. So Rehoboam, or Jeroboam rather, he did not understand this. So on the advice of his counselor, verse 28, listen to what happened. The king made two gold calves. Now, he spent some time in Egypt because he was afraid. He ran off for a while. So he's been in Egypt, and he's learned the art of molding uh, or molten gold into calf. You know, in Egypt, they had all kinds of things they worshipped. So he's brought back two calves, one in Bethel and one in Dan. You've heard of Bethel. Bethel is the area where Jacob was there. The angels descended and ascended up to heaven on the ladder. That's one place. He said, man, this must be the gateway to heaven right here. And Dan is another place of the most far northern region of Israel. It's up in the mountains. It's really hard to get there. You can get on a bus and go up there, but even then it's a hike to get where this is at. But this guy, he says, he placed these calf idols in Bethel and Dan in either end of his kingdom. 
But this became a great sin, for the people worshipped the idols. They traveled as far north as Dan to worship one there. Jeroboam also erected buildings at the pagan shrines and ordained priests from the common people. Now, that may not seem like a big deal to you, but there's something about spiritual authority that you need to understand. You don't just get to do ministry. Like It's, it's not like you just get, oh, I think I'll do it one day. I think I'll just be one. Let me just be one. That's not how it works. You're the God either calls you or he don't. And you'll find out real quick whether you are. Because it, he'll put you through some stuff. And if you ain't, it, you'll just figure it out real quick. People ask all the time, how do you know if you're called? Trust me. Trust me. You know. It ain't that hard to figure out. Because if you can't handle it, you'll be like, no, I ain't called for that, man. I, I ain't. You'll know. If you can't leave it alone, if you can't quit it, if you can't get away from it, you're like, I want to go. I'd rather do something else. I'd rather have a more peaceful vocation. But I can't because why? Because a call anchors you to what it is. So spiritual authority then is not based upon you and I and what we want to do. It's based upon the umbrella that God gives us. And so too many people, I get it, like maybe you're in here right now and you come out of a hurtful situation where some church, some pastor, somebody hurts you, and I understand that. I've had my own spiritual issues before. I get it. But irregardless, God still ordained eldership. God still called apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And listen, I know that some of them have taken advantage of people and done things that are weird, and I understand that, and they hurt people. But that doesn't take away just because you got a weird Reese's cup, just because you got an imitation of the real thing, doesn't take away from the fact that God set in his church five-fold ministry gifts with spiritual authority of elders and deacons and leaders and ministry giftings. Don't ever neglect the real because of your experience with a fake or an imitation. And that's what they did. He ordained from the common people, which means they were supposed to take from the lineage of Levi. He decided, oh, you know, we'll take them over there from Judah. We'll take them over there from this guy, that guy, whoever. We'll just take whoever. And he made them priests. And it says this, verse 32. And then Jeroboam instituted a religious festival in Bethel. It was held on the 15th day of the 8th month. <clears throat> An imitation, everybody say imitation. So it's gone from just like I'm trying something out to I'm, I'm fully blown trying to remake a Reese's cup, man. You know, the best I can do. The imitation of the annual festival of shelters in Judah. This was the, the, the festival of booths, some are called. Uh, festival, you know, where they go in tents and, and they still do it today. But it says there at Bethel, he himself, he, he's the king. It's not his job that he himself offered sacrifices to the calves he had made, and he appointed priests for the pagan shrines that he had made. You need to understand something. There's spiritual authority. There's governing authority. You know, the president, no matter who they are, it doesn't matter what you think about this one or the last one or the one next. It doesn't matter. There's governmental authority. And a president could not just come in here and say, I think I'm on pastor of the church. I'm sorry. You just know how it works. I mean, no different me going up knocking on the wire. I said, I think I'm going to take your job. I'm going to be president now. It doesn't work that way. You just can't do that. No matter how much authority you think you have in one area, if you don't have it in another area, it doesn't work. And so God is saying to Jeroboam through this, if you watch this, a king now is offering sacrifices, even though they're paganistic. He's taking upon himself the same thing that Saul did. He tried to do something that was out of his call, out of his vocation, out from under the umbrella of the authority that was given him because he wanted to do something because he was so insecure. And the scriptures say this 
Then on the 15th day of the eighth month, a day that he himself had designated, he just designated it, Jeroboam offered sacrifices on the altar at Bethel. He instituted a religious festival for Israel, and he went up to the altar to burn incense. All of this was unnecessary. All of it happened because he tried to create an imitation of something that wasn't real, but off of something that was real. And he led a whole ton of people astray because of it. I think about this, and I think about the miracle of worship and why we worship God. We do not worship God because everybody else worships God. I don't lift my hands and worship God because I saw somebody else do it. I don't sing with my voice, even though sometimes it's a little, and I need a little hot tea to kind of help me out, man. I don't do it because everybody else is singing. I don't do it because the key's just right, or the music is right on, you know, the certain keys that make you feel good. I I don't do it because of that. When I pray, when we worship, when we sing, when we do all the things we do of worship, when I live, I do none of those things because other people did it, and I thought, well, that looks like a good idea. I do it because God asks me for my worship, and these are some of the methods in which he gives me to worship him with, with my voice, with my hands, with my heart, right? If you can't keep beat, you try your best, right? You know what I'm saying? You clap. You can do all those kind of things, all kind of ways to worship God, but they're all in the Bible. So let me just give you a couple of things about worship and why it's a miracle that you and I come to the house of God, to the place that he made his name known, if you will, in your case. There's many churches, but you've you got to get under the one where you have the spiritual umbrella that God gives you. And everybody's got an umbrella. Let me just say, let me just say, let me just say this. I know it's not raining, but everybody in here, you've got an umbrella. And if you came in here this morning without an umbrella, then you're actually rebellious. If you don't have an umbrella that you say, this is my home, then it says you have no spiritual authority that can speak into your life. And that's a rogue Christian. And rogue Christians are on their own. I hate to say it, I'm not trying to be mean or get people upset, but what's the difference between that and Jeroboam? Eventually, you'll do your own thing. You've got to have an umbrella, spiritual authority. Who's your spiritual authority? And I ain't saying it's got to be me. I'm saying his church. What local, what place of worship can you go where if they sing a song you don't like, you still are going to worship because God requires it? What place have you submitted to who said, this is my house where God has called me, the place where he made his name to abound that I'm supposed to be at under spiritual authority? So if an elder says, hey, can I talk to you? Sure. What is it this house or is it another? I'm just saying if you don't have an umbrella, I know it's not raining. I know that. But if you don't have one, I'm telling you, you're a rogue Christian. I love you in Jesus' name. But you've got to love me for it because I've got to tell you the truth. So what is worship? Let me just say a couple of things about worship. Number one, worship is for God. Look at your neighbor right here. Let's get this straight right now. If we don't get anything else today, let's get this one thing right today. Look at your neighbor. Find somebody you don't like them, you want to talk to them, don't want to. I don't care who they are right now. You might have been waiting for this moment all morning to talk to that person beside you. But look at them right now. Square on the eyeballs. Find one behind you if you have to. And you tell them right now, worship is for God. Do it right now. Take a moment. (laughs) 
Now I want you to find your second choice. That's the one you didn't want to talk, but now you're going to have to, and you feel a little embarrassed about this. I didn't pick you first, but find the other person around you and tell them right in case they didn't get it from somebody. You look at them in the eyes and tell them right now, worship is for God. You tell them right now. It's for God. It is not for man. It is for God. Sometimes worship can be what we make of it. If the tempo's right, if the song's right, if it's in my playlist on my iPod or my iPhone, then I'm going to go for it. But what if it's not? What it tells you is this. If it doesn't fit my box, then the worship's actually for... That's part of the worship team right over here. You know what I'm saying? They, 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 they feel me right now, you know? It is the truth. It's the truth. Everything about our Christianity in the Western culture is all about what's in my box. I wrote this down. This is from a guy who wrote a book. It's a great, great book. I'd encourage you to read it. It's called How to Worship a King. It's by uh, Zach Neese. Read you a paragraph. Put this on there for us, guys, if you don't mind. I'm going to read it to you, but then you can just follow along. This is the problem. If worship is music, we can market it to man. Man becomes a spectator, a what? If you don't think we ain't consuming some music today, check the Christian top 25 and see how much money's going out to music. Nothing wrong with it. I'm just saying we consume music. Nothing wrong with that. We, we sing, and, but, <clears throat> but man becomes a consumer of worship, and worship becomes a thing for man and not for God. If worship is for man, then man is the object of worship. And if we are the object of worship, then we are gods to ourselves. I'll leave that up on the screen because it's a Selah moment. Ponder it. Ponder that. Think about it. When I come to church, is my worship that I'm bringing, is it based upon what I want or am I really just coming to worship God, honestly? Because we can't take what was meant for God because I'm now competing for his worship. And worship is for God and not for man. That one thought alone ought to change how we come to church. Ought to change how we come to church. And let me tell you something right now. Uh, There are times I don't feel like worshiping. I do, look at me right now in the eyeballs. I'm a pastor. I got a call. I oversee a church. I pray with people. I study the Bible. This is my thing. And I'm telling you right now, as a believer, I come to church, and sometimes I'm over here, and I do not feel like worshiping. I've had a rotten week, too. I had stuff that go wrong. Things didn't go right. And I don't feel like worshiping. But it's not for me. That's the difference. And I don't feel goosebumps. I don't feel the presence. I don't feel warm nothing. I don't feel like, you know, I don't even feel like anything. I don't feel nothing. <clears throat> but I do know what the Bible says, so I just go along with it, and I, I'm going to worship God even though I don't feel like it. And this is why we come here weekly, to worship our king and not ourselves. <clears throat> Here's the second thing I want you to see. Worship is a sacrifice. Number one, worship is for God. Number two, worship is a sacrifice, okay? It comes from this word worship, comes from an old English word called worth R-O-R-T-H, worth-ship, worth-ship. It means to give something worth, to attribute value, especially to a deity or to God. It's a sacrifice. 
when I don't feel like it, when I don't want to do it, when it's not in my best interest to do it in a sense in how I feel, I still going to bring worship to God because he's worthy. One of the greatest stories, I'm going to read this quickly, but you probably may have read this before. But you've heard this. If not, you, you've heard about this story. Genesis 22, verse 1. If you haven't, I'm going to, I'm going to read it for you now. I'm going to read it kind of quickly, but this is the story of Abraham and when he took his son Isaac up on the mountain. But in Genesis 22 and verse 1, it says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Now, I don't even want to get into the theology of all this. I don't. Because, listen, when you come out of Bible college, oh, I could give you all kinds. I will tell you what the theology is on the Bible. Tell you, tell you, tell you right now. I'll argue with you about I know it all, baby. I know as much as God. You know what I'm saying? I'm at the Bible college. Now, let me just say something. Now, I know the basics, and I got it all pretty squared away when it comes to the basics of it. But there's some things I look at and I go, hmm, things that make it go, hmm, oh, hmm, oh. Sorry, sorry. That <clears throat> I don't know. I don't understand all this stuff when it comes to God testing faith, but let me just tell you something. There are times when I say, hey, can we get a T, a T-O? I'm tired. If you're testing faith right now, I'm tested out. Can we go test some other people? I call out y'all's name. Hey, go find my friend Jason. Test him a bit. You know what I'm saying? Go pick on somebody else for a while. Take on Corey. He's a big guy. Throw him some stuff. You know what I mean? I feel a little bit like, do you not feel sometimes like, hey, if you're testing me right now in my faith, could I get a break? God, I love you. In Jesus' name, I worship you. But can I get a moment? Sometimes I feel that way. Maybe you don't. It's okay. This must be confessions of a pastor today. I don't know. I'm going to read this quickly. i got to go. So he says, he tested Abraham's faith. And God called out and said, yes, he replied, here I am. Abraham says. So God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, the one of promise. The one he was ridiculed for talking about God was going to give him. And now God says, take this son. Isaac, whom you love so much, you can always find out how much worship is attributed to God when you realize how much is sacrificed how much you have to sacrifice to bring it to him. If you want to know how much you really worship God, think about how much you have to sacrifice at times for him. It says, and you go to Mount Moriah, go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He sat on his donkey. He didn't even think about it. I would have had to have a moment. Like, I'm sorry, God, this sounds like some paganistic thing. What are you doing? But he knew God, he trusted God because he gave him this son. So he says, he went up the next morning. <clears throat> he took two of his servants, a donkey, along with his son Isaac. And then he chopped wood for the fire, a burnt offering, and set up for the place that God had told him about. In verse 4, on the third day of the journey, Abraham looked up, saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, he told his servants. The boy and I will travel a little further. And he wasn't a little boy either, by the way. Most scholars will tell you he's probably a big teenager. He's a good-sized boy. He's big enough to whoop his dad. I'm just saying. Abraham's older so he says, we're going to go worship there. We'll worship there, and then we'll come right back. So Abraham placed the wood and the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. What they had was coals. It would have been like how you build a grill sometimes, a little coal container, hot coals, and you put it on the grill and set your fire. That's kind of what they would have had, similar to that. So anyway, he says, I'll take the fire and the knife. And as the two of them walked on together, verse 7, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father... Yes, my son, here's a question. <laughs> we have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? 
God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son. Good answer, you know. I bet he, you know, you think he was thinking like, where's the sacrifice? I'm carrying the wood. Daddy, you going crazy or what? Like what? Oh, a sheep's going to provide a sheep. Okay, oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. They get there, and Abraham said, when they arrived at the place where God told him to go, Abraham built an altar, verse 9, and arranged the wood on it. And then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. In verse 10, Abraham picks up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. Now, you have to understand something about God, because people take to say, how could God do something like this? It was a test. God despised the slaughter that Israel did with, to the God of Molech when they, dis, they discarded their kids in the fire. That is not what God is doing here. He's testing him. And at that moment, when he picks up the knife, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. I wonder sometimes in worship, is there anything we withhold from God? Like when we're worshiping God, is there anything we're keeping back? So in other words, when our week's not going great, when God's asking you to do something you don't want to do, when things didn't go the way you wanted to go, do we come in and still worship or is it more like this? Well, I mean, I just, I'm waiting for God to give me something. It's not how it works. He always requires sacrifice first because he already gave the sacrifice. Jesus says, but no matter what we say, there's not one thing you're going to say you've given to God that's going to trump that. Whenever we say, well, look what I've done for you, all you've got to say is, do you, have, do you remember the cross you got around your neck? Do you remember what Jesus did for you? And that will stop all that, what I've done for you, right? So he says, I see that you have not withheld from me even your only son. And then Abraham looked up, and he saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. And he took the ram, and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering to, in place of his son. And Abraham named the place Yahweh Yireh, which means the Lord will provide, actually means the Lord sees and the Lord provides. That's what it actually means. That's very important that you hear that. It's one thing to know that God will provide. It's another thing to know that he sees you when you need it. Which is why we worship. He says, I, I'll name this place the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be, be provided. The thing about this story, the reason I'm reading it to you is because the sacrifice that was given, the sacrifice that was made here, was in the midst of a great need. If you've ever seen livestock or cattle or any kind of goats or anything like that, they're not quite animals. I mean, they don't sneak up on you. You know, they don't, they don't do that. Have you ever seen livestock? They, they don't do that. Goats, they don't just go, let's go hide. When they come out, let's scare them. You, you don't see goats doing that. Livestock don't do that. They don't care if you're around there. Matter of fact, they're so secure in who they are. They don't understand the fall at all. They'll use the restroom right in front of you. And while you watch them, like, I can't believe they just did that. Look at you like, what are you looking at? Go back to eating something. A ram caught in the thicket is not going to be quiet. It's going to be trying to get its horns out. The Bible says horns wrapped up in some kind of thick. It's going to be trying to get out. You know, it's going nuts, right? It's not going to be quiet. Supernaturally, though, this thing is quiet. And I'm just saying this because here's why. When we worship God, when we come to worship God, many times I personally believe this with my heart 100%. There is many times God has your provision. It's just you can't see it or you can't hear it. 
because he's waiting for us to actually just sacrifice a little bit first. To come in and actually, will you just lift up your hands and worship God for a little bit instead of talking about how bad you got to get your bills paid and how much your kids are going crazy and they've went nuts on you and your mama's nuts and everybody's crazy in your family. God understands he sees all that and he will provide for you. He's not immune to that. He's not overlooking you going like, oh, well, you know, I'll get to you later because I got a hundred other people to get to first. He sees what you're going through. He's just wanting to see. I think sometimes if we're willing to worship, in the midst of it all. And let me tell you something. It's a sacrifice. There's a word called shakah. It's a Hebrew word. And it simply means this. It reflects worship. It means, I'll put it on the screen for you here. It means to depress. It means to lay prostrate on the floor. It means to pray homage to. But it also means to reflect sacrifice. Oh, it's one thing to get just bow before the Lord and, and do the motions. But you can do the motions all day long. I can raise my hands in front of you all day long, and you'll think I'm worshiping. But in here, I might not be. I might be fighting with myself inside, saying, oh, it may take me a while to get my heart in the right place because my week's not been so great. But I'm going to sacrifice anyway because on the mountain of the Lord, I know my God is a God who sees what I'm going through, and yet he still will provide. And it may not happen this week. It may not happen next week, but he will provide. <clears throat> Let me just say this. I'm gonna just, I'm, I don't want to pick, but I am going to say this. If your year has been great, like all your stuff went right down the road just fine, you know, you ain't had a flat tire. Like, you know what I'm saying? Everything's just great. Just your kids behave. They come in like little ducks behind you. You know, your mama didn't go crazy. Your daddy's cool. Cousins didn't come out of the woodwork and been all like, ah, nothing like that, right? You, everything's just gone great. And you walk in here like, Jesus has been good to me. Like, you know, that kind of, if that's you, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for you because it's easy to come in here in that environment. But for all the rest of us in the room who didn't have such an awesome season of life for the last year, I'm still going to worship God because you know why? Irregardless of what's happened or not happened yet, he's worthy of worship. If he doesn't come through for me at all, he's still worthy of worship because of Jesus. I don't care if nothing ever else goes right for me. That one thing alone, like we were singing a while ago, my debt, first of all, has been paid. Listen, that alone is enough for me. That, is, that right there will handle, I can, I, can, I can worship Jesus right there for that. If he didn't give me anything else, didn't pay another bill, that one would be enough for me right there. So here's the thing, though. A lot of times when we come to worship, though, we don't think it's a sacrifice. So we don't really think of it that way. We think of it more of God, answer my need. Listen to the attitude. Listen, I'm going to read you another paragraph of Scripture. I'm going to read this quickly. Daniel chapter 3. This is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. All right? Just reading the context of this. You can go back and read the story later. This is the whole attitude of worship. Verse 15 says, If you're ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and the psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music. This is why music is not worship, by the way. It can be used for worship. But music is not worship. You understand what I'm saying, right? Motley Crue was really famous. I wouldn't say that was worship to God, would you? No. It has some cool songs. I think they might have been going the other way. You know what I'm saying? Music is neutral. 
It's whatever you want to use it for is what it's attributed to. So they're here. This king is threatening them. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And who is the God that will deliver you from my hands? So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, in other words, verse 17, if you're going to throw me into the fire, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, and a lot of people say this is like, well, if God doesn't deliver him, that's not the context of the sentence. Read the sentence. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image in which you've set up. What they're saying is, if you change your mind to save face, we're still not going to worship your false idols. Because it doesn't make any sense the other way. If they throw them into the fire, they're obviously not going to worship their false gods. They're going to be burnt up. Duh. That's not what God was saying. That's not what the Bible was saying. He's saying, if you throw us in there, God will deliver us. But if you decide not to, we're still not going to worship your false idols. That's the attitude we have to have. Yet, Job said, though he might slay me, yet will I trust him. I trust him more than I trust what I'm going through right now. That's why worship is a sacrifice. Hebrews 13, 15 says, Therefore, let us offer up through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming or using the fruit of our lips, that is our voices, our allegiance to his name. The greatest worshipers of God are not those who can sing the best. They're not those who keep time the best. They're not the most talented musicians. Jesus said the greatest ones who worship are those who worship in spirit and in truth. I'm going to wrap up with this last thought. Worship is spirit and truth. Worship is for God first and foremost. For God. And it's a sacrifice. Sometimes I know if you're going through I get it. I don't want to lift my hands either, but I know what's up on the mountain. And it may not have happened this month or last month. It may not happen all year, but I don't care. At some point, I know God will come through. I know he will. But here's the thing I also know is worship is spirit and truth. So John 4, 23, Jesus said this. An hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers that means if we want to worship and be the true worshipers, we need to pay attention to what Jesus just said here. They will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Watch this. For such people, the Father seeks. I'm going to back up and read that again. See, it's, think about that. This is who God's looking for. He's not looking for imitation worship he's not looking for us to come to church and clap because everybody else is clapping thank you Jesus and you don't want to be here because you're so frustrated about what's going on in your life why didn't God come through for me it's not right I know he come through for them and it's not fair it may not be fair but your worship ain't going anywhere because it's just a show and I can put on a face too you do he's gonna see you too yes jesus oh hallelujah yes amen i can put it on just like anybody hallelujah Woo, we can do a shake if you want to and make it look real good that don't mean squat that don't mean anything y'all know what i'm talking about y'all know what i'm talking about 
you know, when people really feel it, it's like, woo, I feel Jesus, you know, that kind of thing. Y'all ain't never seen that? That's just all look and show and for fun, whatever else. I'm going to tell you something right now. You want to know what real worship is? This is what you, spirit and truth. You be straight up honest. I don't want to be here right now. I don't want to be in this place right now. I don't want to come here. I don't feel like worship right now, but God, in Jesus' name, help me to get my heart right. Don't play a game with God. Yes, Lord. Yes, he knows right through all that. But he says, this is what God's looking for, true worshipers. He's seeking these spirit and truth worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So what is spirit and truth? I'm going to wrap up with these thoughts. What is spirit? First of all, spirit is a very simple word. We make it so deep sometimes. It's not deep. The Bible says that God breathed the breath of God into Adam, and he became a living being. It's breath. You have breath in you. The word spirit means breath, air, spirit. In the Greek, it's called pneuma. That's why we study pneumatology in Christian Bible colleges. It's the study of the spirit. But it simply means breath, air, spirit. In Hebrew, it means ruach. You know know Hebrew, you can pronounce it better. But that's the best I got for you. It's ruach. It simply means the same thing. It's spirit. It's breath. It's air. That's why we sing those songs that we sing. This is the air I breathe. It's old, I know, but this is the air I breathe. What is the air? It's the breath. But in me is the spirit. Without the spirit, I go to be with Jesus. You understand what I'm saying? But I'm a spirit being. First and foremost, I don't care what's going around me. Life stinks sometimes. Things don't go right sometimes. People betray you sometimes. People hurt you sometimes. Your boss hates you sometimes. I understand all that, but that's all external. That's all natural stuff. You're still a spirit. You're a born-again spirit, a child of God. And when we come to God, we don't worship him in the natural. We do lift our hands and all that kind of stuff, but that's part of what we do to get our body in motion. But my contact with God is right here. And this, the heart, the spirit. God is a spirit, so we worship him in spirit. And truth means this. It's a conformity to reality or actuality. It's an implication of dependability. It's the word in Greek. It's aletheia or althea or aletheia. It's, it's any one of those words. It's very close. So it's the Greek. It's aletheia, althea. That might help you out up there, hon. There you go. In Hebrew, it's imuna. Best I can do. They mean the same thing. So what the people of God would do when they were facing battles when they were faced issues, when they were outnumbered, when they had no way of overcoming, you know what they did? They would do something that we forget to do. We go through a battle, we go through a trial, we go through issues and people don't like us and we come to church going, oh, somebody pray for me. Oh gosh, it's so awful. I can't believe they hate me. Yeah, I understand. We'll do that. But let's do something else first. Why do we even sing? Why do we worship? Why do we play music at the first of the church service? When we gather together, does anybody, if we ever even thought about why we do that first, because it's not for us, it's for God. If we preached first, guess who that'd be for? You. And you ain't about why we're here. He is why we're here. So the Old Testament, this is what they did. They would get together, and this is the kind of stuff they would do. They go to old school, man, Deuteronomy. I know people like the Old Testament so much anymore, but that's, but the Old Testament's great, man. That gives you some ideas about what you can do. So Deuteronomy chapter 32, they did stuff like this in verse 3. They said, for I proclaim the name of the Lord. 
I ascribe greatness to our God. That means I give worth to him right now. I give worth, I give greatness to our God. The rock, his work is perfect for all his ways are just. A God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteousness and upright. And say, you know why they did that? Because it's the same thing we sing sometimes. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his what? Holy name. Why do we do that? Because my soul don't want to do it. It goes, I'm mad. I got mistreated this week. I don't want beer. It's not fair. I get like a crybaby like my four-year-old. Sometimes you pitch a kick stuff and fall on the floor. And, yeah, a bunch of Christians in church on Sunday morning. And what we're supposed to do is ascribe greatness to God first. Like, God, you are good. Yeah, I know my week stinks. But you know what, Lord? The good, you are good. You are so good to me, God, and you do good. Matter of fact, every good and perfect gift comes from above, Lord, from the Father of lights. You are so bright. God, you are so bright in the midst of a dark world. Everywhere I go, oh, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. You start thinking about God, and it changes how you think about everything else. It doesn't change your situation all at once, but it focuses something different, which is God is great. My situation is not. I think Abraham felt taking his only son up there. How do you think he, what do you think was going through his mind? I, wow, what a sacrifice. I mean, sometimes, guys, listen, it's difficult to worship. I remember, you know, when we came in here and our worship guys, you can come on up, I'll close out with this and be done here. I remember coming in here, this room, before we did all this work and all that kind of stuff, and it was 2013. I remember coming in. <clears throat> I'd had a difficult issue just happen in the church. Really, really tough and uh, difficult, difficult issue. And, I mean, it was like, and, and people still don't understand. It, it's, it's, and there's no sense in, it's like crying over spilt milk, not worth getting into. But it's hard. When you, let me tell you, when you go through something, it's tough, is it not? It don't matter whether other people understand or not. If, you, if you've been through it, it's hard on you. Maybe somebody else, it's not because they've, they've never been through it before. But if you go through it, everything's relative. If it's tough, it's tough. It doesn't matter how other people say it's not tough. If it's tough on you, it's tough. And I was in the middle of a tough situation. Wasn't even a week, two weeks out of that. And during that time, Haley's mom, I remember we got the call. I was supposed to be at, at an elders meeting that night. Ronnie calls me up, says, you know, Donna's got cancer. I can't, I can't. We and I remember having to go to a meeting thinking, I don't even remember what we, we were supposed to have this meeting because some issue was going on. We had to be there. I had to be there. I had to go through it. I'm thinking to myself, I don't want to be here right now. That Sunday morning, I remember coming into church service. And before we did all this work here, it was different then and all. I remember coming in and having to sit through the first couple of songs and thinking, I gotta, I can't, I, I'm about to have to preach. And I, this is also on my mind is what what are we gonna do? Like I'm, I'm gonna pre- if you've never had to preach, you might understand that, but it it's like the equivalent of having to get up and give the state of a union every week. That's b- bottom line. Everybody wants a great message. And if you don't give one, everybody knows it's not good. I know it too. Don't worry about it. We're not immune. We know. <laughs> we know when they're not good. We got it. You know, we that one's no good. But you know when you got one too. But it's like having to deliver a state every single week. That's what it feels like. So you, there's a lot of prep. I could I can't tell you what I preached that day. I don't even know. 
we had to worship in the midst of that. And they played a song called Cornerstone. And it was basically in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of all things going on, you are true and you are not just true, but you will come through. We had to, we, I'm sitting there singing this song and my mind's going nuts. But in my heart, I knew, even though you slay me. I mean, right then and there, if you never had to go through this, you know many of your family, our families, many of you have been through what I'm talking about, Ryan. You know what it's like to have to go through these kind of processes in your mind. If you hadn't, God bless you. I thank God. I pray you never have to. But in the midst of that, this is what through my mind. Am I going to worship God? If it don't go the way that I'm praying it will. Or is my worship simply based on my answer to my prayer? Now, I don't know how, if you've ever had to get in those moments before, but I'm going to challenge every one of us in this room to lay aside what's not going right for you. To lay aside your issues and things. I, I'm not diminishing them. I'm not saying they're not real. I'm going to challenge you, though, this morning. You lay aside all that for God. And in the midst of all that, just worship Him. We hope you were blessed by today's message. If so, feel free to pay it forward and share this podcast with someone else. Thanks for listening.